Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And, and notice that these men, they, they reject not only civil authority, but they also reject spiritual authority as well. And he, he, he brings it to light right here. He says, Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on Truth in Christ Radio. The Bible tells us that there are invisible angelic beings all around us. There are ministering spirits sent by God to assist us, and demonic spirits who want to defeat us. The devil can't unsave a saved person, but through his deceptions, he can corrupt and defile a Christian who is supposed to walk in purity and freedom. To the devil, we are time bombs, ready to wreck his work. Bombs that he would like to diffuse and make ineffective. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's study. The letter of Jude. Hopefully we'll finish Jude today. Uh, it's a little book, but there's a lot in this. And so we spent quite a bit of time. We spent, this will be our fourth week in the book of Jude. Um, there are a lot of themes in this letter that are very uh were not only applicable to the time that Jude was writing to the church there in Asia Minor in that area during the first century, but it just so happens because the Word of God is alive and God's Word, that the truth of God's Word is always valid. It's never old news. It's always current, it's always living, and hopefully working in you and I. But it's very applicable to us today because Jude talks about apostates and and things uh, going on in the church that ought not to go on in the church. And he talks about some really strange things that kind of throw us for a loop, And uh, like in verse uh, 5 and 6 where he talks about the angels not keeping their proper domain. And remember last week we spent quite a bit of time looking at that. And we can't be, you know, completely dogmatic about some of these things, but there's enough in the scripture and uh, to conclude that the things that I shared with you last week were, were true, because I believe the first century church believed that as well. But this morning we're going to get into, uh, we're going to get into verse 8 down through the rest of the, of the chapter, but let's read really verses 5 uh, down through at least 11 for now. Jude writes, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, 
he destroyed those who did not believe. So we know that this was the children of Israel many years ago in the, when they came out of Egypt and how there was a, a generation that was walking in unbelief. And because of their unbelief and rebellion, they perished in the wilderness and they didn't go into the promised land. In fact, it was only Joshua and Caleb and the younger generation that went in. And what, what Jude is doing here is he's reminding them that just as these apostates that we're going to be talking about, that we have been talking about and are continuing to talk about, unfortunately, because I'm, I'm, I'm growing a little weary of this topic, to be honest with you, but it's something that we need to talk about because it's all around us. But he's, he's drawing a parallel between saying if God didn't even withhold the chastening and even the judgment upon his own people, and then he goes on in verse 6 and he says, and the angels... Even them, the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the, of the great day. And he compares this, this group, these angels, these fallen angels, and their lust and the things that they did. He compares them with Sodom and Gomorrah, which was uh, an event, obviously, that's written for us in the Word of God that is true. It says, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in similar manner, that there's an interesting line to underline, in similar manner to these, these fallen angels, uh, leaving their first estate and creating all kinds of problems, including, just like them, as Sodom and Gomorrah, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, they are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And so Jude is setting up this uh, comparison that evildoers will be judged by God. And only those who are in Christ will spend eternity with Christ in heaven. But those who are not born again, the Bible says, unless you're born again, you can't see, you can't enter the kingdom of God. It is only for those whom the Spirit of God indwells, only for those individuals. And so how important is it for us to be born again? I mean, did Jesus say that or not? Or is it just some church tradition? No, it's not a church tradition. These are the words of our Savior. These are the, are the words of God Almighty. You must be born again. It's not good enough just to be a good person. Because the Bible says that there really are none good. No, not one. They have all gone astray. Every single one of us. That's why the Bible says you must be born again. There has to be something happening in you. There has to be a transfer of power. You yielding the old nature and all the deeds of it, yielding it up and say, God, forgive me for all that I've done. And I receive you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God, he comes and he indwells the person who desires to know him and wants him. And when that happens, does God take it away because you've been a bad boy this week? No. He says, when he does it, it's a seal. He, you're sealed until the day of redemption, until the day of the rapture, when he redeems your body physically and takes you with him. You are sealed. You can't mess it up. It's a work of God, and he does not take away things. The Bible says that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. That's a really scary thing, and it's also a wonderful thing for you and I. So it's something that he gives something that he gives. But let's go on in verse 8, and it says, Likewise also these dreamers, now he's speaking of these apostates, in that time, and he's also speaking of the time that we live in now. There's plenty of them around. Many of them are on television. Not all of them, but many of them. Many of them are packing out stadiums and and arenas. And they're they're feel-good speakers. They're motivational speakers. They're positive thinkers. 
And you might say to yourself, well, that's not so bad, is it? Not under the guise of Christianity. If you want to be a Zig Ziglar, then, then do it outside of the church and don't feign to be anything but just a person who wants to help people live better. There's nothing wrong with that, per se. But don't masquerade as a, a man of God and then bring in a bunch of junk. That's not even biblical. It's not right. And they were there in uh, Jude's day, and they're certainly in our day. And he goes on and he says, Likewise, these dreamers, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. And Jude would say, woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They've run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and they've perished in the rebellion of Korah. He's speaking almost as if it's just like a past tense thing. Their, their, their judgment is so sure, he speaks of it as if it's already occurred. That's how sure we can be. And so let's look at verse 8, and hopefully we'll finish this chapter. We really need to. Likewise also these dreamers, notice, defile the flesh, and they reject authority, and they speak evil of dignitaries. Again, these dreamers that he's referring to are these ungodly men, these false prophets who had crept in. These are the ones that are spoken of in verse 4. If you look back in verse 4, you can see that. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men. So these aren't men who are born again and just kind of falling away. No, these are imposters. People who are bent on diverting souls and deceiving. So he says, these dreamers, they defile the flesh. Notice that Jude is drawing a comparison between the judgment that those in verses 5 through 7 received, and we just looked at that. The people in uh, God's own people, after they came out of Egypt, and certainly those angels that didn't keep their first estate, just as those are going to receive judgment, so these, in verse 8, likewise, also, these dreamers, they will also receive similar judgment. And it's interesting that there also there's a similarity in their sin. Notice the first one, defiling the flesh. When we look back in verses 5 through 7, we can see that those of Sodom and Gomorrah did exactly that. They were defilers of the flesh. They gave themselves over to homosexuality and fornication. Notice both of those things. You know, the church thinks that we just harp on homosexuality, but that's not true. It may fit the narrative of somebody who comes in and has a problem, but God hates fornication. That's, that's between a male and a female that are not married. He hates that just as much as he hates fornication. Everybody understand? So God is not a respecter of persons. He's not a respecter of sin. Sin is sin, and he hates it all, right? He hates it. But he loves you. Aren't you glad? Everybody smile because this is getting kind of heavy already. Yes, but notice... These dreamers, they defile the flesh, and, and so did those of Sodom and Gomorrah, and so did those fallen angels who left their first estate. They should have been in heaven, and they manifested themselves into human beings, which we believe they're able to do. They had intimacy with women and back before the fall, of uh, before the uh, flood judgment, and even also afterwards. So they, these are defiling, flesh, defiling the flesh just as they did, and certainly rejecting authority. Who rejected authority? Remember Israel in the desert. They were constantly grating against the Lord. The Lord would give them commandments, and they were constantly digging in their heels. Have you ever seen a, a person trying to walk? Like, I, I, it's funny to watch a really an elderly woman uh, uh, taking like a, a Saint Bernard for a walk. You see this in Florida. 
actually. We were in Florida this last Christmas. This elderly woman's got this big dog, and she's trying to take this dog, and the dog doesn't want to go. So guess who goes who doesn't go anywhere? The, the elderly woman. You know, the dog just kind of sits there and he puts his feet in and she's trying to pull him and his, you know, you can see the, the harness going around his neck and his skin going like that. And the dog's not going anywhere. <laughs> not going anywhere. But they rejected authority. Israel rejected authority. The Bible is filled with that. And it could have been any people group. It's not just the Jews. We're all hardheads. Amen. I know I am but also speaking evil of dignitaries. Certainly among this group that we had read before, they were certainly speaking evil. Not speaking well of dignitaries or, or angels or luminaries, as we are called, as they are called. But notice it says that they defile, they defile the flesh. The idea is to soil or to contaminate. contaminate. It's, it's a stain. Isn't that a wonderful word? Have you ever been called a stain? I remember when I was in, in grade school, you know, somebody, you know, kids are just rotten at that age. I don't know what it is. Adults are too, actually. But they have a little more decorum, so they don't call you a stain, really. They call you other things, usually behind your back. But kids will walk up to you, Rob, you're a stain. Right? That's the idea. A stain is something that is just soiled or contaminated. And that's what he's saying. These, they defile the flesh. They're, they're stains. And this word occurs in other, just a few other times in the New Testament. In Titus chapter 1, verse 15, it says, To the pure, I love this verse, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled, there's our word, and unbelieving, nothing is pure. For their mind and their conscience are defiled, and they profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Have you ever met somebody who can't look at something without relating it to, in some perverted way? Have you been around a person like that? Someone who, you know, it could be, even, it could be somebody, perhaps a woman, without, relating, uh, without them relating to it in some perverted way. They can't even look at a member of the opposite sex without thinking perverted thoughts. They can't hear an English word that sounds like something else in a slang term without immediately going to the, to, right to the gutter. Have you been around people like that? They, just, they smirk. You, you mention a word, and it, it relates to something else that's kind of not so nice, and they're already thinking the word. And instead of not thinking about it, you know, that's why I love this. To the pure, all things are pure. A person who is filled with the Spirit of God, who is a child of God, can look at those things, and they're not even thinking about that stuff. They can look at a member of the opposite sex and not think evil of them. A man can look at a woman and not lust for her, even though she may be attractive. And that's a hard one for guys. But to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled, everything is defiled. They see life through a different lens. Don't you desire purity? Guys, ladies, don't you desire to be able to hear things and never relate to anything dark? Just, you know, to, to have your heart and to be in that place, and that's something that you have to cultivate, believe it or not. And you do that by abiding in Christ. You do that by getting into the Word daily. The Bible is a great rinser, a great cleanser of the mind and the heart. And the more you abide in Christ, the less of those things you're going to be thinking about. But the defiled person, that's all they think about. They're always trying to equate things that they see. The lens that they're looking through is dirty to begin with. And so everything is dirty to them. Nothing is clean. They're always looking for the evil. And I love being the Christian who's completely oblivious to those things and rather trying to see the good 
or just not relating to it in an evil way. Does that make sense? In Romans chapter, chapter 12, what does it say? You don't have to go there, but let me, you can just write it down. But it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. How do you know what is good? You read the word of God. That's what you do. And in fact, in Ephesians, even though this exhortation is for men to women, Paul admonishes the husbands to wash their wives in the word. And the same is true. We are washed every time we read the word. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might do what? Sanctify and cleanse her, to set her apart, to cleanse her with what? Dove soap? Sounds kind of biblical, right? Dove that's what every Christian. Do you guys have Dove soap or is it Life Boy? You know, uh, only Christians have Dove soap. I'm just kidding. So here it is with the washing of the water by the Word of God. That is what does it. The water of the Word. That's what cleanses us. That's it's the pure Word of God. And the more I get that in my head, the more my life becomes more of a fragrance of Christ and less of the fragrance of the world. Which, to be honest with you, is doesn't smell so good, does it? Does it? It doesn't smell so good. It doesn't look so good. But that's the idea. The word of God is a cleanser. But he speaks here that these speak evil of dignitaries. This word uh, is the Greek word doxa, which means glorious ones. It could be a celestial beings. And in fact, they probably are because uh, Jude is setting up a comparison uh, with Michael the archangel in the very next verse. Uh, and, and notice that these men, they, they reject not only civil authority, but they also reject spiritual authority as well. And he, he, he brings it to light right here. He says, Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. You know, whenever we see the archangel Michael in the Bible, it is always in some kind of warrior context. He's always in some kind of battle. He's always, for, for the people of Israel specifically, he's always the one going to battle for them. And that's a mystery, isn't it? That there can actually be heavenly battles going around that we can't see. Think of how frightened we would be if we could see the, the spiritual realm, even in this room, over some of you perhaps this morning, the battle for your mind and your heart. It would probably scare us all to death. And it's much more so in the world. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but with spiritual wickedness, principalities, powers, and dark places. But this, this phrase here, he dis, being, uh, disputing about the body of Moses with the devil, there is a, uh, an extra-biblical source. It's, a, it's not a, a part of the canon of Scripture, because there are portions of it that don't line up with the Scripture at all. But the Holy Spirit has the ability to take a, a, a work that perhaps the church hasn't, um, by, the, by the influence of the Spirit of God, canonized in the Bible. There are some books that God has the right, and here's, a, here's one of them. We're going to see another one later on, where he'll take a portion, a, 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 an idea, out of one of those non-canonical books. Because it is truth. Not everything is truth in those books, but God has the ability and the right to to bring out, bring out a point and pull out something from that. And this is one of those things. This, this uh, phrase that uh, Jude is using is from uh, uh, a book called The Assumption of Moses, where evidently the devil argued with the angel 
about the body, apparently claiming the right to dispose of it. So there was evidently this battle. But we know that in Deuteronomy chapter 34 that God buried Moses. In fact, it says in Deuteronomy 34, beginning in verse 5, So Moses and the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him. God buried him. And how did he do that? Evidently, he had Michael the archangel involved in this. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. And perhaps the reason for that is Satan wanted to do something diabolical with Moses' body. Maybe he wanted to have Moses lie in state for the rest of his days. You remember what happened with the children of Israel, with Gideon and the ephod that he had made? It became a fetish for them. It became something that, it, it became something that they began to worship until he had to destroy the thing. And think of what would have happened if they would have lay, if the, if the devil would have had his way and did something, maybe had Moses' body lie in state. And certainly the children of Israel would have said, hey, that's a great idea. He is, after all, a great leader. But wouldn't it cause them to stumble? Because they would come around. It would probably be something they'd do every, every month, every year. They'd come and they'd worship at the feet of their, of, their, of their Savior, the one who brought them out of Egypt. And God says, I'll have none of that. I am the one who brought them out. I'll give my glory to no man. And although Moses is in glory, God does not share his glory. So God physically buried Moses through the hand of Michael. And evidently there was some squirmish uh, with him and the devil. But I, you know, I don't really subscribe to the practice of some that, you know, they, you know even you know, Michael, he, he didn't dare bring an accusation against the devil. You know, he just said, the Lord rebuke you, you know, and I don't necessarily, actually I don't subscribe to those Christians who make a habit of yelling at the devil, screaming at him, marching around their house and, and acting like they, you know, in, in Christ we have all power with him within us. But we ought not to think that we can match and go toe-to-toe to with the devil apart from Christ. In fact, it's better that we just leave him alone and let God deal with him. But there are those who think that they can push him around and poke their finger in his chest like he's some insignificant angel. We don't want to give the devil more credit than he's due. But you know what? The Bible says that we ought not to be doing those things. We see this in this verse, that we don't speak evil of dignitaries. We don't, we don't like him. We, we, we don't like him at all. But I don't think it really matters to him. I think he laughs when Christians, you know, push him around like he's nothing. And I think he laughs when the Muslims, on, for the Hajj, or however you pronounce it, the Hajj, whatever Hajj, that five, every five years they, they go to Mecca in Medina and they throw stones at the devil. And I think he laughs all the time at that. And then people, even well-meaning Christians, it's better that we just leave him alone and let God deal with him. After all, I don't really want to have any dealings with him. He's had enough of my life. Has he had enough of yours? Before you came to Christ, and even now, he can't take your salvation. He may be messing with you. He may be making your life more difficult. But he can't take away what God has given to you. Salvation. He can't take that away, but he can mess with you, and he can make, he can tarnish your witness. He can make you feel horrible, but he can't take that away. Nothing can take that away. 
But these, they speak evil of what they do not know, and whatever they know, like brute beasts, and these things, they corrupt themselves. And this is just gross ignorance. You know, it is very common for the natural man to be afraid of or to hate that which is unknown or that which is not understood. That, that's true. People fear what they don't know. That's why we fear the future. We don't know the future in its minutia. We know the big things. The Bible tells us these things. Thank God. Can you imagine not being a Christian today? I don't know how unbelievers do it. Because they have no faith. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Jude. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcasts. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.